0: Hi, and welcome to the Remain Faithful podcast. My name is Hannah, and I'm your host. On today's episode, we will be looking at Psalm 51 and discussing the spirit of faithfulness, a byproduct of the Lord's forgiving and redemptive power. Thank you for tuning in today, and let's get started. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Remain Faithful podcast. I'm so excited that you're here and I'm really excited to be talking about the topic that I have prepared for today. Today we're going to be talking about Psalm 51, and when I initially picked this psalm for the first content episode of the podcast, I was primarily inspired by the second half of the psalm. But when I really started to dig down, do my exegesis, and formulate a message for it, I was surprised to learn just how serious this psalm actually is, and how important it is in terms of the doctrine that it provides us and um there's a lot in here and it's not particularly light material so it's kind of funny because I remember asking God if I should actually go through with this or if it was too heavy for the first episode and if I should choose another topic and I kind of think he laughed at me a little bit if I'm being perfectly honest um I could almost feel like a deep rumble of amusement in that moment almost as if he was saying to me you asked to be my servant Now bring the message that I told you to bring and I mean he definitely won that very short discussion so here we are, Psalm 51, buckle those seatbelts ladies and gents, it's coming in hot. So for this episode, the method that I'm going to use to bring this content is something that is called expository preaching and while I'm definitely cognizant of the fact that I am sitting alone in a quiet room by myself with a microphone as opposed to actually preaching, the idea is the same basically I'm just gonna go line by line and then at the end I'm gonna draw up some big conclusions to summarize everything let's get started so to begin I'm gonna provide a little bit of context so we can really understand the situation that this psalm was born out of the psalm was written by David after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan about his adultery with Bathsheba now if you're unclear as to what I'm talking about then the record that details everything that happened with David and Bathsheba you can find in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. So if this is something that you're unfamiliar with read those check that out it's definitely a wild ride and then come back here and we'll jump back in. But for those of us who are still on the same page this psalm is titled A Prayer for Restoration. So we can tell right off of the bat that this was written by a heavy heart burdened with the weight of a crushing sin. If you take a deeper look into what category of psalm this falls into, this is what is called a penitential psalm. A penitential psalm is essentially one that deals with deep contrition or remorse. This category of psalms are essentially those that deal with the confession of various sins. And in the Bible, there are exactly eight penitential psalms. Now, while that fact by itself is not necessarily interesting, what is incredibly interesting is if we look a little bit deeper, we discover that there are 14 psalms that are linked with specific instances in David's life. If we cross-check the lists between these 14 psalms and the eight penitential psalms, Psalm 51 is the only one out of all 150 that deals with a direct confession of one of David's sins. So, this psalm is incredibly unique as it deals with a direct account of one of the fathers of the faith and one of the specific sins that he had committed and had to grieve during his lifetime. Because of this, there is a lot that we can learn from Psalm 51. As we go through, I'm going to read the psalm in chunks, so we're going to begin with verses 1-5. through Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, Blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence, you are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born, I was sinful when my mother conceived me. In the first five verses, we see several different words for sin. Rebellion, in verse 1, sometimes translated as transgression. Guilt, in verse 2, alternatively translated as iniquity. And doing evil, in verse 4. Now, other words that you could potentially find in our modern vocabulary include things like, I've messed up, I need to get myself right with God, and most recently I've heard the term backsliding. There are dozens of others, but it is evident that in this modern age we like to dance around the idea of sin. It's rare to hear talk of iniquity and transgression in the mouths of younger, modern evangelical Christians. It's rather uncomfortable for us, and for good reason, but discomfort doesn't permit a relaxed treatment of sin. One of the things that is necessary if we are to remain faithful to the Lord is treating sin like it is sin and dealing with it in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. This is something that is critical in our daily Christian lives and there is a lot that we can glean from Psalm 51 with respect to dealing properly with our sin when it occurs. In the first verse, David calls in the character of God during his plea for forgiveness. We can see him invoking the ideas of being faithful, loving, merciful, compassionate, all of the things that make our God a good and wonderful father. Oftentimes, when we find ourselves disappointed in our actions and worried that the Lord is also disappointed in us as well, we have to remember who God is first and foremost. We see further evidence of this in 1 John 1, 9, this beautiful verse that reads, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the main takeaway from this first part of the psalm is that even though it's easy to feel crushed and it's easy to be disheartened when we fall back into a sin that we've been struggling with or we're overcome by guilt the main takeaway is that the lord is gracious and the lord is loving and faithful and compassionate to those whom he cares for if we bump down to verse three we see that David admits that he is actively conscious of his rebellion and that his sin is always before him. Now, this is interesting because in terms of the timeline from his encounter with Bathsheba, the murder of her husband, and the cover-up of the event, to this confession, almost a full year has passed. Think about that for just a moment. David lived with this crushing weight, this burden, for a full year before he was confronted by the prophet nathan and before he made this confession to the lord now i don't know about you but living in that type of grief is so heart-wrenching and maybe that explains a little bit as to why this psalm is so poignant and it's so filled with overflowing emotion but it could be possible as well that david wasn't necessarily aware of his sin maybe he was aware but it wasn't something that he was convicted of his conscience wasn't actively aware of the presence of the sin on his shoulders and so maybe that led to the being the reason why he didn't bring this to the forefront until a year later now it is very possible that we can find ourselves in the same boat with our sins this is not an experience that was exclusive to david It's important that we recognize that if David, a man of great faith, was able to push down and brush this sin under the rug for a full year, that we, people in this modern age, have the same capacity to ignore and to brush away sins when they crop up in our lives. One peculiar little tidbit of information I wanted to pull up really quickly comes to us from Leviticus 5.4 and it reads, If someone swears rashly to do what is good or evil concerning anything a person may speak rashly in as oath without being aware of it, but later recognizes it, he incurs guilt in such an instance. What this is essentially saying is that if a person inadvertently commits a sin and is unaware that he either A, committed the sin, or B, that what he did was a sin, it doesn't necessarily make him innocent. He still incurs the guilt in that instance. If you read verse 5, it says, If someone incurs guilt in one of these cases, he is to confess that he has committed that sin. God is essentially saying here that I didn't know, slash I wasn't aware, doesn't negate our guilt. We're guilty whether we realize we are or not. Now you might be thinking to yourself, Honey girl, where are you going with this? Well, the thing is, is we don't always realize right away when we've done something wrong. There can be behaviors, habits, or old lifestyles that have just stuck with us and gone unchecked due to their longevity in our lives. Humans are creatures of pattern. And so it's important that even if we feel that we are walking in the right direction towards the Lord, that we are still scanning and we're still looking for things that might be trying to infiltrate our relationship with God it's important that we strive to be conscious of our rebellion and to have our sin before us as described in verse 3. Awareness is the first step to taking action. And it's so important that we don't downplay the things that are driving a wedge between us and the Lord. Verse 5 is such an important verse in terms of apologetics. It reads, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. This details for us very clearly in the plainest language that we're born sinners. Right from the beginning of our lives, we are fallible, morally impotent individuals. And this parallels beautifully with Romans 3.23, which says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is a really important doctrinal point for us to grapple with and understand, because it is cornerstone in how we comprehend our sin and the way by which we are forgiven for our sins. So it's not a bad idea for us to have Psalm 51 5 tucked away, ready to go in case we find ourselves witnessing to someone and explaining the ideas of original sin and how every single person aside from Jesus Christ himself had sin in their life. But aside from the ministry point of verse 5, it can feel a little bit like a wet blanket. Like if we're guilty when we're born, what's the point, you know? But verse 6 comes in swinging when it reads, surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. So verse six is showing us the character of God as he desires integrity in our hearts and promises to teach us the ways of wisdom and to guide us through our sinful nature. A verse that comes to mind in this topic is James 1 5 that says, now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to him again to reiterate this psalm is a prayer for restoration from sin and so if we find ourselves in the middle of a crushing weight we needn't worry about how we are going to get out of our situation and how we're going to stay out of the situation because it says clearly here that the lord will teach us wisdom deep within as we move into verses 7 through 9, we can see David's pleas for forgiveness to intensify a little bit. It says, Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins, and blot out all of my guilt. This is very clearly a man who is fully aware of the transgressions that he has committed against the Lord and he is desperate to be washed and regenerated from his current condition. There's a lot that we can pull from this because whenever we find ourselves in similar instances, maybe not to the same degree of severity, but maybe something that is equally as crushing in our lives, this is a model for how we should respond and how we should plead with the Lord. The first thing that I'd like to quickly note is hyssop. Now, hyssop as a biblical motif was a plant that was used to apply the blood of the Passover lamb in Exodus and it was also used to sprinkle the priest's purifying water on various sacrifices and then we can see that in numbers so now as you're reading your bible and you see hyssop you know what it is and it's actually a really it's really pretty it kind of looks like lavender um and i really like lavender personally and so it's just it's this beautiful tall little plant and anyway that's an aside now if you ever see hyssop you know what it is and you know that it had a lot of old testament significance and it was really important in terms of the jewish religious traditions but aside from that just as verse 2 pleads for a complete washing of guilt david is asking for a restoration that is so complete of forgiveness so deep that it would be in the eyes of god as if the sin had never occurred We see in verse 9 the words blot out and those words blot out are equivalent to the act of wiping away. Wiping away something to create a clean slate. Cleaning something that there would be no trace left. Now that isn't just a fanciful request from a very broken man. It isn't a sweet sentiment that doesn't actually exist. It is the exact and precise way by which God forgives us. One time I heard it explained to me like this. After we come to the Lord with a confession of something that we've done, and our heart is heavy with the grief and the weight of our sin, God, in his method of forgiveness, completely washes it away. It never existed, and if we were to ask God, well, what about the time that I did this? He would respond to us, I don't know of such an instance, and this is the miraculous power of the Lord himself. One of the reasons that Psalm 51 is so beloved is because it demonstrates that David, a miraculous man of great faith, had some serious issues with sin in his life. The charges against him were not small. They were steep. They were very serious in terms of what we would consider to be, um, quote unquote, worse sins in this day and age. David had committed them, but God forgives him. And it is so comforting to read this and know that if God can forgive what David's done, he can forgive us as well. One quote that I found that just dovetails so beautifully with this conversation that we're having was from a man named Archibald Simpson. Now, he lived from 1564 to 1628. And that's an old dude. Like, that was a while ago. And he says this, men are greatly terrified at the multitude of their sins but here is a comfort our god hath a multitude of mercies if our sins be in number the hairs on our head god's mercies are as the stars in heaven i found this cited in one of charles spurgeon's books the treasury of david and honestly this is one of the most beautiful things i've just ever read in my life but it's true it is so true even if we think that we have sinned beyond what God is capable of forgiving us for, rest assured, such a thing is not possible. And with that, we arrive at verse 10. Now, this half of the psalm, primarily verses 10 through 17, was what I was inspired by originally when I was crafting this podcast. And I'll, I'll begin with verses 10 through 13, and they say this, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me do not banish me from your presence or take your holy spirit from me restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit then i will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you zeroing in on verse 10 david is essentially asking for two things a clean heart and a steadfast spirit but when i was looking at this It occurred to me that in order for us to have a steadfast spirit, we must first have a clean heart. Now, you might be thinking, Han, that's not what it says. No, but in principle, we can agree that that would be true. It is hard to be steadfast, the definition of which is unwavering, firm, and relentless, if we are not first deeply rooted in the Lord. And in order for us to be deeply rooted in the Lord, we have to be free from sins that tether us to the world clean can also be translated to pure and so it's important for us to recognize that steadfastness is a result of purity first corinthians fifteen fifty eight is beautiful and it works really well with this and it says therefore my dear brothers and sisters be steadfast immovable always excelling in the lord's work for you know that your labor in the lord is not in vain now really hard to labor in the Lord and to excel always in the work of God if we are not first restored from the sins that we've committed in the past so essentially you can't have such a spirit until your heart is pure and clean just the same as you can't take organic chemistry until you've taken general chemistry but fret not God promises to do just that and we see this in Ezekiel 36:26 when God says I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you i will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh now you might be like me and think to yourself well is that in context and specifically in this instance it's not but this is definitely a verse that has the character of god written all over it and under the new covenant with jesus I definitely believe that God is in the business of giving us new hearts and new spirits when we come into relationship with him. If we bump down to verse 12, we see a very similar type of energy. It says, restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. So we can draw the same conclusion that a willing spirit is the result of us having joy in our salvation. Taken together with verse 13, A willing spirit is required for the teaching of the word. And such a spirit is only granted after one possesses true, unbridled joy for their salvation. Once God intervenes on our behalf, we have work to do for him. David says that clearly in verse 13, saying that he will teach the rebellious, the Lord's ways, and return sinners to the Lord. But in order for him to do that, he has to have a willing spirit. But in order for him to have the willing spirit... The prerequisite for that is full joy in the salvation of the Lord. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 14 through 17. They say this, Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God. God of my salvation and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. Now, there are two more examples of this kind of like codependent prerequisite relationship in this body of text. One of which is praise is the result of salvation, verse 14, and declaring the Lord is the result of God opening our mouths to speak, verse 15. Now, what do all of these things have in common? All of these prerequisite relationships? Well... They are all things that are the results of forgiveness. These definitely are not things that are byproducts of burnt offerings, as we see in verse 16 in the levitical law a burnt offering was given with the intention to right oneself with the lord through the atonement of sin and a lot of the old testament history is the israelites knowing the law and following it really well but never having the right heart posture to back it up and we see god's response to this in Hosea 6 6 which reads for i desire faithful love and not sacrifice the knowledge of god rather than burnt offerings this is something that david in this psalm is critically aware of and so verse 17 comes in and states what god truly wants from us in situations of guilt and remorse and that thing is a broken spirit now the willing spirit and the steadfast spirit are things that god gives us but the broken spirit that's something that we bring to the lord this reminded me immediately of matthew 5 3 which says blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs now if you're not familiar with this this is in a section of jesus's sermon on the mount titled the beatitudes and this is the very first one and there's a lot to be said for things that are listed first in a grouping of others now being poor in spirit means that we are conscious of our sinful nature that we are not boastful or proud in who we are but rather that we are remorseful and willing to surrender our control and the authority we have over our lives to the lord so if you find yourself ever in a situation of sin and you think what do i do you come to god and you bring your spirit and you bring it broken you bring yourself the sinner that you are under the knowledge that the lord is merciful and he is faithful to forgive us so to sum it all up If we have a broken spirit and bring our humbled heart to the Lord seeking forgiveness, the Lord, in all of his provision, will create a clean heart for us, as well as restore the joy of our salvation. That's something that I don't want us to miss. There's so much value in being truly happy and truly joyful and content in the knowledge that we are saved for all eternity by the Lord of the universe. So don't think that that is a minor point because it's not. That is the secret, even though it's hard to see, to a really fulfilling existence on this earth. Now, out of these two things will result the steadfast and willing spirit. And in order for us to remain faithful, we have to be steadfast in the ways of the Lord and in his word. And we have to be willing to go out and do his work these two things are what i think create the spirit of faithfulness but we can only create the spirit of faithfulness if we look upstream for forgiveness from our sins one of my favorite things in the whole world and this is going to be one of the first things that i tell you guys about myself is Avatar The Last Airbender, you know, that really cute cartoon from back in our childhood, really nostalgic. It's about the four nations, air, earth, water, and fire, and, you know, it's got the sweet little bald kid, you know, my jogging your memory about this. Anyways, this is not a podcast about Avatar The Last Airbender, even though I would enjoy that beyond what words could describe, but I'm going to make a brief point about this. So recently, quarantine blues have been real for me and for a lot of other people because coronavirus is very bad where I live. So I've been watching Avatar The Last Airbender because it was recently put on Netflix. And honestly, it is just my favorite show of all time. It is so sweet. It has such great characters who are just lovable and funny and have really great character arcs. And the plot is relevant. And even though it was made for children, it has a very adult um, energy to it almost. Like the content in it is still relevant today, even in my adulthood. And it's just really fun. No yuckiness, it's so easy to find in TV these days. But Avatar Last Airbender is just, it's just excellent. If you've never seen it, do yourself a favor, it's on Netflix right now, go and check it out. But anyways, I bring this up for a specific reason, there's an episode where Aang, the Avatar, that's his name, he goes to meet with a man named Guru Patik, and he goes to meet with him in order to master what is called the Avatar State. Now, the avatar in the show is essentially a person who has mastered all of the four elements for a specific purpose. And once one avatar dies, they're reincarnated into the next avatar, into the next nation. And so Aang is an air nomad, he's an airbender. And he goes to meet with Guru Patik to master this avatar state that allows him knowledge and insight from all of his past lives as the avatar. And the guru essentially tells him that in order for him to do this, he must unlock what are called his chakras. Chakras essentially come out of ancient Indian culture, and they are depicted as water, almost like energy pools in the body. There are seven of them. And the guru tells Aang that each chakra is like a river, and in order for them to work together in harmony they have to be able to flow into one another but the problem is that there's often different things in our life that block each of the chakras and in order for that river to flow cohesively through the body each of the chakras has to be unlocked and the gunk has to be cleared out now i'm not sitting here saying that i believe in gurus or chakras or reincarnation or any of that but what i am saying is that the idea of things blocking a river from flowing is still really important. And it's really relevant, especially in the conversation we're having now, because sin is the gunk that clogs our river of life. And so we have to be really vigilant to notice when sin is cropping up in our life and to clear it out, so we can get that downstream effect of remorse, followed by the Lord, forgiving us and restoring the spirit of steadfastness and willingness in our lives so in order for us to have a spirit of faithfulness the order of operations a little bit of old school pindas energy coming your way is that we bring the lord a broken spirit and he creates in us a clean heart and a joy for our salvation and then the byproduct of those two things is the steadfast and the willing spirit But none of that can happen until we look upstream and we recognize our sins and ask for forgiveness. Anyways, now I'm thinking about Avatar Last Airbender and I can't even focus anymore. So um, (laughs) I just love it so much. Fortunately, we are at the end of this podcast and I'm going to leave you with four brief points based on everything that I've just said. If you find yourself grieving a sin, you are in what david was experiencing you are remorseful over something that you've done lift your eyes to the blessings that are coming to the blessings that are on the other side a clean heart joy for your salvation the steadfast and the willing spirit if you are stuck in sin recognize the power of the lord to unbind your chains and to purify your heart if you are currently battling sin Rest in the knowledge that God has given you a steadfast spirit. And finally, if you are unaware of your sin, remember that God will never despise a broken and humbled heart once you arrive at the foot of his throne, no matter how long it takes. Alright guys, that's all I have for you today. I hope this was encouraging. I hope this gives you a little bit more insight about Psalm 51 whenever I read it initially and I noticed that there were three different types of spirits listed in this psalm. I knew I was gonna take it to the podcast and write about it and so I hope that this has given you what I consider to be my contribution to the discussion on sin in our lives and, um, Anyways, I just love you guys so much. Thank you for joining me. And until next time, remain faithful. If you enjoyed this podcast, we would be grateful if you subscribe to the show so you can be notified when new episodes are released. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find our Instagram page at Podcast, or you can head over to our website at remainfaithful.